Hello, welcome to security, cryptography, whatever. I'm Deirdre. I'm not qualified to be on this podcast. Yes, you are. <laughs> I, I'm, Th- I'm Thomas. Um, and today is not quite an emergency pod, but it's a pretty special pod with our special guest, Professor Stephen Galbraith. Hi, Stephen. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for attending. This is a bit of a short notice scheduling, and we're all in different parts of the world. We're here because this is a bit of a day of grieving for uh, one of the best well-known, highest attention, isogeny-based, theoretically quantum-secure crypto schemes, SIDH, super singular isogeny Diffie-Hellman. There's been a new attack published, uh, a royal preliminary write-up of an attack uh, by Wouter uh, Kastrick and uh, Dekru, and it looks to be a classical attack that fully breaks the SIDH construction uh, in polynomial time. And by polynomial time, there is a Python script that broke the highest security parameter set. And I ran it on my M1 MacBook in 20 minutes, like an hour ago. Um, Steven, you have done a lot of work in this area, both attacking and constructing isogeny-based crypto systems. Can you give us a quick overview of SIDH, and then we can get into this attack and why it's so devastating. Yeah, so we're talking about post-quantum cryptography here. So we've got classical um, elliptic curve cryptography, which has, has been used all the time at RSA and things like that. And one of the problems is that quantum computers would uh, solve the factoring problem, solve elliptic curve discrete logs. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of interest in new ideas, new new kinds of schemes that we can use for cryptography, but would hopefully be secure against a, a quantum a, a, a attack with a quantum computer. Mm. And the, the other important thing to say about post-quantum crypto is we're talking about stuff that, that you can implement and run right now on today's hardware and on the internet. It doesn't require um, new technology to, to, to work. So we're looking for things that we can still use on our phone um, but hopefully it's secure against an attacker with a quantum computer. Right. And there are various types of post-quantum crypto, and one of the most popular is lattices, and that's great. I think lattices are awesome. But I also really love elliptic curves, and yeah. the, the great thing about isogeny crypto is it's very closely related to elliptic curve crypto. Yeah. So it's not the same, because if it was the same, it would be broken um, by Shaw's algorithm. So it's a kind of post-quantum alternative to elliptic curve cryptography. And for people who know what Diffie-Hellman is, it's really close to Diffie-Hellman in some sense. Mm-hmm. And um, that makes it very beautiful, very elegant, uh, very appealing. And it's been, it was, so this, this idea really came out um, by Zhao and DeFeo in, I guess, 2011 or something. It's only about yep. 10 years old. That sounds right. And... Uh, 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 since certainly in the last five years, it's been a very, very active area of search. Mm-hmm. So to overview the protocol, as opposed to other isogeny-based protocols, which was a distinction we, we will get into after we talk about the attack, basically how you do SIDH as it's been constructed, and if you go look up the NIST post-quantum uh, contest competition, whatever you want to call it, um, it'll look similar, but not exactly the same because they, they construct it into what they call psych. Uh, the public parameters include a starting elliptic curve, some points that are on that curve, and these are all using a, a prime to define the prime the prime order field that they operate, well, the prime order extension field that they operate over. Um, and then one party will generate a new curve and some points, and those points are on the new curve, and they are images of some of those base parameters under their secret isogeny that they have constructed. And then the other party will do the same, but for these other different points that they operate over, they operate at, they have generate a different new curve and different new points that are on that curve. And they exchange them. Those are their public keys. They exchange them. And then you finish your Diffie-Hellman by using your other party's public points and public curve and try to apply your secret isogeny to their point and curve and vice versa. 
and you will eventually come to the agreement of a new elliptic curve and you can take the J invariant of that elliptic curve and that is your shared secret. So okay, that's, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> hop in. So r right off the bat here, like the distinction between, and just, I'm asking questions and, and playing dumb because I am dumb on this topic, right? Uh. But right <laughs> off the bat in, in like kind of conventional elliptic curve cryptography, we fix a curve. We just have a single curve, right? Yeah. So like we all, we're all using curve 25519, right? We're not coming up with curves on the fly. But in isogeny crypto, we are in a sense coming up with curves on the fly, right? Yeah. So I watched the uh, I watched Costello's tutorial, like the the mm. broadcast he did for um, for Microsoft, and I kind of worked my way through the the tutorial paper. So like, is it is it true that like in sort of the same sense, we're in elliptic in, in conventional elliptic curve, we have like a base point um, in in SIDH or S, or Psych or whatever. Psych is just an instantiation of SIDH, yeah. right? It's just like the packaged version of it for um, yes. For NIST, right? But yeah. we, we sort of have a base curve instead of a base point. Yes. Um, and then we for, have, I, I, yeah. Yeah. And then we have isogenies, which, like, an isogeny is kind of a general, like, kind of, if you're not a mathematician, blows your head off kind of concept. But here, isogenies are kind of straightforward formulas that we're applying to points on curves. Am I crazy? You're, I can't tell if you're nodding or yes. you're simultaneously, Deirdre is simultaneously nodding and shaking her head. You're, yeah. I mean, they're, 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 they're Exactly. They, they're functions that map a curve to another curve and they map points to points. Oh. Yes. Yeah. And so like we, we can kind of, we start with this like base curve, right? And then, and you, you have to kind of explain the math to me here, but like you can, you can derive from that base curve kind of a constellation of related curves mm -hmm. um, where we apply these isogeny formulas to take, you know, some value with a secret mixed into it and hop from curve to curve in that constellation of curves. And you're Alice and I'm Bob and Alice is going to wind up on some star in this constellation and Bob's going to wind up on some totally different star in this constellation. And somehow we're going to do some kind of sharing thing where we can share public information and land on the same third different star, fourth different star yep. or whatever. Yeah, okay. basically. That's the, that's the uh, hard thing. It's easy to go off in random directions. Um, the hard thing is to make sure you you end up at the same place. And if if for people who know Diffie Hellman, you know Alice can compute g to the a, Bob can compute g to the b, and the key point is they can both end up at g to the a b. And so you're looking for the you're looking for some analog of that where you where Alice is taking some some arrow or some function to some curve, and Bob's taking a function to another curve. And but but. They need to, you need to sort of agree and end up with a kind of a, it's like a square. We think of these mm -hmm. things as squares and you, you want to get to that corner, the kind of opposite corner. And you need to make sure you both go to the same place. And that's why you can't just get away with sending the curve yeah. in SIDH. You have to send these extra points as well, which is the, yes. which is a real pain in the neck. And the, the cause of all our problems are the fact that Alice and Bob are not just exchanging an elliptic curve, they're exchanging an elliptic curve and a pair of points. Yes. And... The original constructions were over ordinary curves. I'm doing air quotes on the ordinary curves because those are the curves we're used to in classical elliptic curve crypto. And they were found to be weak against an attack. And so the construction moved to the super singular curves. So that's the S and SIDH. However, when we moved to SIDH, we became uh, secure against this certain class of attack. But we lost that commutativity so that we once upon a time, we were just able to use these ordinary curves and then we would be, be able to complete the Diffie-Hellman square with just those curves. But we lost that and adding these auxiliary points, these images of these, you know, points on the original curve under your secret isogeny allowed the math to commute and actually to let us agree on the same curve again. But... People have been concerned that they leaked a little bit too much information about your secret isogeny ever since they were introduced. And there have been papers that have been like, well, if you construct your SIDH parameters just so, you can attack them using the auxiliary curve, auxiliary points. But they were never very significant attacks, and they were never against some of these parameters that we've been looking at for, I don't know, going on six years now. Until like almost two weeks ago. And then all of a sudden there was a, a preprint and it, it took, as far as I can tell, it takes the auxiliary points, 
and it takes the specific curve and is able to use the fact that you're able to compute most all of the endomorphism ring of the base curve and the auxiliary points and is able to use them with this higher dimensional algebraic geometry that I had to to cram a crash course on to get a, a little bit. And you're so, able to compute that secret isogeny. So this is the point where we explain for the non-mathematicians here <laughs> how a regional isogeny works. No, I don't know if we'll I don't know if we'll get all the way into that today. Um, Steven, can you try to give us an intuition of how this attack one works and two is so devastating after very small kind of attacks for m many years. Yeah, I mean, I was as surprised as, as anybody. <laughs> the auxiliary points have always been a, a concern and absolutely um, they were a, a, clearly a problem for SIDH. And I, my gut feeling was that there would be a quantum attack. I was never very convinced that SIDH would be secure against a quantum attacker. So my my gut feeling was that there would be some kind of quantum attack that used the auxiliary points. Uh -huh. But so I was as surprised as anybody when there was um, really a, a, a classical attack. Yeah. So how does it work? So I've actually been, I wrote up a little note um, this morning about um, about the this Carney theorem. So the the, oh, the good key the key concept is um, a paper by Ernst Carney from 1997. He's a number theorist and algebraic geometer who who's done a lot of work on when Jacobians are products of curves and stuff like this. Anyway, so so he had this paper um, which just had what was needed just sitting in it. Yeah. And what it what it boils down to, yeah, so the key point to the attack is you have to go up a dimension. You, you can't think about elliptic curves anymore. You have to think about products of elliptic curves. Right. So you have to think about in some kind of new object, which is E1 across E2, where, where E1 and E2 are elliptic curves. And mm -hmm. so... Uh, so this is pairs of points, right? This is a set of pairs, PQ, where P lies on E1 and Q lies on E2. Mm -hmm. And you can consider this thing as, as something called an abelian variety. It's a generalization okay. of elliptic curves. It's a very special case of an abelian variety. And there's um, notions of isogeny and so forth that, that live in that world. And yeah, mm -hmm. most, of the things, most of the things in that world are, are not products of elliptic curves. They're Jacobians right. of curves. Um, okay. So, yeah, to make to cut a long story short, the way the attack works, or the way this theorem works, is it says if you choose a subgroup of a certain form and you take it, so, okay, subgroup. So, isogeny yeah. somehow corresponds to subgroups. I, I yeah. saw that the act of isogeny is like quotienting out by a subgroup. Yeah, so it's you can you can think of an isogeny as being a, a function from one curve to another. You can also think of it in terms of its kernel. So, kernel is just a fancy way of saying the things that map to zero. You can right. think of it as a, as a subgroup. Um, and so if you take this product of elliptic curves and you write down a particular uh, subgroup of it, when you quotient out, when you take the isogeny, this theorem by Carney tells you under what conditions you're going to end up back at a product of elliptic curves again, rather than the general case of being a Jacobian. So if, this, um, if the certain conditions are satisfied, so you can write down this product of elliptic curves. You can write down a subgroup. You can compute the isogeny because someone worked out how to compute these isogenies. That's the Richelieu part. And what the theorem of Carney says, if these certain conditions hold, then you will end up at a product of elliptic curves. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a test. That becomes yeah. a, a test you can use. I've got certain points. If these points satisfy this condition, I'm going to compute something and get a product of elliptic curves. If these points don't satisfy some relationship, I'm going to compute something and I'm going to get a random looking thing, which will not be a product of elliptic curves. <laughs> and so the, the whole, so the, and this theorem was just sitting there for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and so the whole, the whole magic was people realizing, ha, huh, I can use this theorem. This is, gives a criteria to test some algebraic relationship between points. An and then it, it's actually relatively straightforward. <laughs> I mean, it's the kind of thing that once you see it, you're like, holy shit. You know, I could have done that. Um, once you see the trick, you, it's pretty clear how you can use this as a way of, of, um, of getting partial information. Um, except there's one more ob obstacle you've got to solve, and you've got to solve 
you've got to be able to compute an isogeny whose degree is kind of outside your control. Uh-huh. Um, so you end up with this weird thing where you where you have to look at a number like um, three to the three to the some power minus two to some power, uh-huh. and you and and suddenly this the shape of this number um, pops up and. Um, and and the, the the effectiveness of the attack depends on exactly what's going on with this power of two minus this power of three, uh-huh. and so if we talk about the two papers, the paper right. that's clearly there's been two groups of authors that have been working on this, um, not entirely in isolation because they're because one of the authors is a PhD student visiting the others, they've clearly been talking about this stuff. <laughs> um, so the theorem was known about and the idea was known about, and so the paper that's come out. Um, uh, just in the last uh, day or so, um, yeah. at the time of recording. Um, so that's the one by Mino and Martindale. Yes. Um, it sort of gives an idea of attack. And then the paper that's actually came out earlier by Kastrick and Dracru, they've actually gone a bit further. So they've said, yeah. yes, you would get stuck here, but hey, if we know something about the base curve, we can actually push beyond this and we can push further. So the, the first paper actually goes further than that than the second paper, but they're yeah. all based on the same observation of Carney. Yeah. And so that that thing that you needed to know is more information about the endomorphism ring of the base curve. Is that correct? Yeah. So you need to be able to compute this weird random isogeny. You need to be able to compute it on points. Okay. Um, you need to really be able to evaluate it. And, um, and its degree is large and you don't have a lot of control over it. Right. So if you know the endomorphism ring of E0, then it's easier because you can somehow write, um, uh, you can try and set up this thing so that it's actually an endomorphism. Yeah, well, right, you've got I, something you could evaluate. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sound super dumb here, right? So, um, so I, I think that, like the intuition behind what you just explained about how like, you know, we, we, you know, we take these mathematical objects and we bring them up to a higher dimension and we can do some computations and we'll get something that makes sense if we, you know, guessed right and we'll get random stuff if we get yeah. wrong. Like that, that I like the broad kind of outline of that is like almost every Oracle attack works like that, yeah. right? Like that, yeah. So it's, I immediately latched on right there. Like that was great, right? So I guess my question is like, is there a simple, like intuitive way to understand what it is that we're guessing here? So I, I understand that like we're getting, um, you know, kind of points on curves um, and that we're what we're trying to discover is like the sequence of isogeny steps that were taken to reach those places. That's very, like, that's very it. That's basically it. Yeah. So I guess the key, another key factor about isogeny crypto, it's annoyingly not very efficient. So again, <laughs> if you know, if you know about um, normal elliptic curve crypto or RSA, you know about the square and multiply algorithm and you can compute G to the, G to the power A, um, quite quickly by doing, you know, you, the last thing you do is you go G times G times G times G A times, that would be madness. You do squaring and multiplication and you can, you can exponentiate um, eff- efficiently. Unfortunately, with isogenies, you're back to the dumb thing. How do you yep. compute a large degree isogeny? You compute it by composing a whole bunch of small degree isogenies. So isogeny world is kind of clumsy and that you really are doing the dumb thing of G times G times G, except it's Phi one composed with phi two composed with phi or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so so in SIDH, when uh, when Alice is choosing her um, her protocol message, there's this base curve and she's computing a long isogeny of degree two to the n, but she's computing it by taking an isogeny of degree two. So a little step, and then another little step, and another little step. So she takes n little steps and publishes the the n the curve that she got to, and then she takes these two points and maps them across. And then Bob does the same thing. He computes an isogeny of degree three and then another one of degree three and another one. So he computes some large power of three and sends that, that curve. So, um, so Alice's secret is really a sequence of isogenies and yep. so is Bob's. And it's always been obvious that a really natural way to attack would be to somehow recover this thing kind of bit by bit by, by yep. working. Um, and so uh, some work that I did some years back on, on an adaptive attack, which was really using like a decryption oracle as a test. That's exactly how it worked. And we, um, we could learn the, the secret key kind of back, well, it's sort of, <laughs> this, this is a little this Indian is... or big Indian question. But, um, <laughs> but essentially what we would do is you would learn the secret key bit by bit, which boiled down to kind of finding the path in reverse. Yep. You would work out what the J invariant was of the, of the 
of the first step back in from the end, and then you gradually go back. Um, and this is and this so, is this is GP this is GPTR that you're talking about. GPST. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 allowed to get these things wrong, right? And like my my understanding of GPST is it's named for the yeah it's the the names of is the authors of the paper, which is like the convention and cryptography, right? Um, but my understanding is that that basically takes kind of textbook SIDH. It's the difference between textbook SIDH and like something like Psych that you could actually deploy is the fix for the GPST attack. Uh, Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thomas, you know a lot more than you let on. Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Now, my first question is, we basically knew that if you could compute the endomorphism ring of the s- destination curve, that you could compute the secret isogeny. That like that was like a fundamental security reduction of isogeny-based crypto that we've known for a bit, right? But this is if you can compute. Did we know that or did we did we show that for computing the endomorphism ring of the base curve? I don't remember. No. So so okay. the, the, the question of whether the whether there's whether you want the base curve to be kind of special and have known endomorphism. So yeah, so again for, for context, we're talking about super singular curves here. And super singular curves have really quite complicated endomorphism rings. Okay. So they're they're maximal orders and quaternion algebras and they're non commutative and they're quite weird. And I still um, don't know what that and, means, but and go, please uh, go ahead. Well anyway, <laughs> all, all it basically means is that you, you take a sort of one of your classic curves like y squared equals x cubed plus x, and all you need to realize there's something that acts like square root minus one. And that doesn't commute, that anti-commutes with Frobenius. And that's an easy, okay. easy calculation that P is congruent to three mod four. So I to the P is minus I. Okay. So, um, so you end up with this non-commutative endomorphism ring. Now, yeah, so there are some curves that you can just write down and you can see very easily what the endomorphism ring would be. And, but if you take a long path in the isogeny, if you take random isogenies and, and then forget what you just did, then you don't then you don't know what the endomorphism ring of, of the if the curve is. Okay. So it's it's long been a question of whether you should choose the special curve or the or the general one. And mm-hmm. um, there's been um, quite a lot of discussion about this in the literature. So um, there's definitely some protocols where you absolutely have to you don't want anybody to know the endomorphism ring. And so mm-hmm. you have to have some kind of trusted setup or, or mm-hmm. some process. Um, because the only way we know to write down, this is also an annoying problem. We don't know a way to write down a random, that, we don't know yeah. a way to generate a random super singular curve without knowing its endomorphism ring. And, and a whole bunch of me, me and a whole bunch of people um, wrote a paper on this at CFAIL. So that's, that's yes. next week is CFAIL. And we have a very, a very, um, a, a paper with whose who's, who's list of authors almost um, fills out the page limit for the for the CFAIL. Um, <laughs> and it's on some ideas that don't work about how yeah. to generate a random super singular curve. So um, so that's already an annoying, so there's two annoying problems. It, there, there was already a bit of suspicion about are curves with known endomorphism ring weaker for some applications? Yes. And two, we don't really know how to solve that problem very well. Um, we would, so we've got a suspicion that they might be weaker. And so you'd like to have curves without known endomorphism ring, but we don't really know how to build them without some kind of trusted setup. So that's that was annoying as well. Yeah. And um, and in, in Psych, the actual NIST submission Psych, they did start with a special curve, for better or worse. Oh, and, right. Um, so they really um, kind of, well, in retrospect, shot themselves into the foot, unless you're a conspiracy theorists in which case you would argue that no, no they, they they would have been suspected of putting in a no. trapdoor if they'd done anything else no um, so it was actually better <laughs> better that they went for the weak curve straight off rather than being accused of having a backdoor rolling so anyway, my well. eyes as hard as they can roll <laughs> all right i was uh, i was just about to ask about like it, it's so frustrating that we, you and others have tried to figure out nice ways to generate random starting curves like this. And it seems like, quote unquote, our only hope might be to do something like this trusted setup to generate a, a more secure starting curve. But then 
the Martindale paper came out yesterday, and it seems to indicate that that might not even because that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't think so. So so yeah. So to to get back to the to the main thread. So the, yeah. the original um the the, cast, the original two week yeah. old asterisk the crew paper. They're really. Like I said, there's a bit where you have to compute this isogeny whose degree is a power of three minus a power of two right. or vice versa. And to do that efficiently, um, it helps if you know the endomorphism ring. So if okay. you know the endomorphism ring of the curve, you can do that step. That's the the one where there's code available that yes. totally works and, and, yeah. and it breaks the um, Microsoft challenge and it breaks the psych instances and, and they're all dead oh. because they all start with a special curve. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, we don't know how to really do the attack in general. And the paper by um, Mino and, and Martindale, um, I mean, they say it works for general curves. Um, I don't want to be to sound ungenerous here. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's nice work, but I mean, what they're really saying is we got stuck at this point, whereas Kastrick oh. and DeCruz, they saw that there was a problem and saw, ah, but here's a problem we can solve if we use special curves. So, so I, I mean, it's, it's, it's not that they've taken the Kastrick to crew method and somehow solved that problem. It's the okay. other way around. Kastrick and DeCruz got to exactly the same point that Martindale and Mino did, but then they said, ah, okay. but if we do this, then we've solved it. I, okay, so there's really you. nothing right. in the Martindale Mino, Mino paper that's... Um, you're still just basically looking at some number of the form, large power of two minus large power of three, and hoping okay. that it has smooth enough factors. And I mean, this is really a stretch because you don't just need, I mean, you've got this random number. You want it to be smooth. Mm -hmm. So you want it to be a product of small primes. Okay. Why is that? It's for two reasons, right? Two reasons you want small primes. First reason is because you can only compute small prime degree isogenies. Yeah. So if you're going to have an isogeny of degree 300,000, you have to compute 300,000 yeah. um, yeah. things. Yeah. But also because you have to work with torsion points, you have to work with points of, of that order, and they're defined over some extension of the ground field. What's the extension? Well, it's like L minus 1. If you've got a prime L, in the worst case, it's like an L minus 1 degree. Well, it can actually even be worse, but um, in the super singular case, it's controlled. So... Um, so you've got, oh, I've got to compute 300,000 multiplications over a field extension of degree 300,000. I mean, it's just ho hopeless. So, so um, there's no, from what I see, there's still, in the general case of an unknown endomorphism ring, there's no reason to believe you'd get any loss of security. That's okay. what I'm saying today. I mean, we, you would need new ideas to, well, you'd need some kind of new tricks, I think, to to push beyond this, but who knows? Okay. Um, okay. Cause I, I saw that yesterday and I'm, you know, in, in Vegas for all the hacker conferences or whatever. So I'm like, Oh no, it's even worse. <laughs> like our, our like last best hope, which is like doing something very expensive to generate a randomly generated curve with an unknown endomorphism ring might also be like, not even that great. Okay. So, Thank you. I thought it was even worse than I thought. <laughs> all right. So all right, now, that, now that several of us have a, a bit of an intuition of how we leverage this attack and the implementation that we've uh, been talking about, uh, the, the original authors of the Castric de Cru, uh paper published some magma. It's a mathematical uh, library that a lot of uh, academics can use, but you need a license, blah, blah, blah. So a bunch of enterprising mathematicians imported it to Sage, which is a Python-based open source platform. And they were able to get a, a naive implementation working and it would break the largest parameters in like hours and lots of quick improvements to math and algorithms in Sage and in their script, I can now break the largest parameter set for Psych in six minutes on my lap. Sorry, excuse me, 20 minutes. <laughs> it's a big, big 20 minutes on my MacBook Air M1 laptop, um, which is just ludicrously easy when we thought that was like a beastly, like turn it up to 11 belt and suspenders parameter set two weeks ago against not even, not just against classical, but for future quantum computers anyway. So I will have a link to that in our show notes. So that's for SIDH. There are 
I'll pose the naive question. Is all isogeny-based cryptography broken? <laughs> Fortunately not. So yeah, Yay! so we've got we've got we've got SIDH which is which is broken in a special case and and you know, the, if we're feeling optimistic, um it might be savable with trusted setup, but then mm -hmm. we've also got uh several other things. So the most um, obvious one is something called Seaside. And mm. so this is C, S-I-D-H. Uh, <laughs> C stands for commutative. Um, and it's a bit the joke. The name is a pun on the fact that there was some European research project workshop on an island somewhere and, and they <laughs> came up with the idea, well, they would buy the Seaside. <laughs> so that is... Um, different and it doesn't have these annoying auxiliary points so mm -hmm. the good news is you're really sending just elliptic curves so to get back to thomas's his question it's you're still going from a curve to a curve and so your protocol message is an elliptic curve but it's even more like diffie hellman it's really like diffie hellman mm -hmm. um so seaside is quite nice but unfortunately seaside is not quite so quantum resistant yeah. So there's a there's a sub exponential algorithm due to Cooperberg, mm -hmm. and um, there's been a lot of papers um, somehow arguing that this algorithm is quite practical. And um, I was uh, I was really initially pretty unconcerned about Cooperberg's algorithm, and I I wasn't convinced that it was going to actually be a big problem. But I've gradually become become convinced. I mean, there's a paper by Pikett on this that. that yeah. Helped to change my mind and and yeah. by um, various others, uh, and so what we the problem with seaside is we're not quite sure how big the prime needs to be, yeah, um, and and quite what the efficiency is. So it's kind of it's kind of it's cool and it's great for protocols because it's so close to Divi Hellman and yeah. there's lots of people writing papers about it and coming up with various schemes, which is nice, um, but it's a little bit un clear about whether it's really practical for yeah actual like tls or something <laughs> so that's seaside mm -hmm. and then there's also more more sort of general isogeny problems and i'm thinking particularly about signature schemes here so there's been yeah. a lot of work on signature schemes and the signature schemes can be based on really quite general isogeny problems and if you're if you're a theoretical cryptographer uh, the, the point is that you only need a one-way function for, for a signature scheme. So you can really do um, Fiat-Shamir-type signatures without nice. needing quite the same algebraic structure you need for, for Diffie-Hellman. Yeah. Uh, so there's been a, a various work on signatures. I've, I've worked a, a bit on this topic. Uh, and there's in particular, there's a, a very cool scheme, which I didn't work on, called Ski-Sign, which... Um, Again, it's not entirely clear how practical it is, but it does have a pretty short signature. So, yeah. so this is uh, still very much alive, totally unaffected by the stuff because mm -hmm. there's no auxiliary points. Mm -hmm. um, it's based on just a, a special case, but still a fairly general isogeny problem. So mm -hmm. yeah, so there's still a, there's three things to keep in mind. First, Seaside might be saved with some kind of trusted setup. Oh, uh, SIDH might be saved. Oh, yeah, yeah. Seaside is is very much alive uh, apart from the Cooperberg thing. And mm. again, there's no reason to think that these ideas would have any relevance for, for Seaside at all. Okay. And then there's things like Ski Sign and other signature schemes, which, which again, should not be affected by this kind of attack. Yeah. And then um, related to Ski Sign and kind of signature schemes, uh, I think it was DeFeo and others published. Or was it you and DeFeo? Published the isogeny-based proof of knowledge uh, recently. <laughs> yeah, oh, I hate that paper. God, that paper's Why? horrible. Oh, it's so ugly. Oh, that's uh, been the most painful paper. Yeah, though I have to say that was that's vaguely relevant for signatures, but it, that was really about the adaptive attack, right? That was about that was more in the hope of getting non-interactive key exchange because right, you want to okay. you want to do something. So yeah, this is this is back to this is back to how beautiful Diffie Hellman is. Right, Diffie Hellman <laughs> is the most beautiful thing because Alice can publish G to the A and Bob can publish G to the B. And, and you, you normally think of it as sending each other a message, but you know, these can be public keys or something. Yeah. And you can get this, you can get this non-interactive um, key exchange. And, and what you want is isogeny versions of that. And Seaside, yeah. yes, Seaside gives you non-interactive key exchange. And that's why it's quite easy to, 
to build um, Diffie-Hellman-like protocols off it. But SIDH didn't because of these because of this adaptive attack. Yeah. Um, but if you if you would publish an SIDH key and a non-interactive proof of correctness, yes, then um, then you can get non. So that's really what that yes. that paper was about. Um, yeah, I was very hope happy because. Uh, I was able to start telling people, hey, you can verify this proof on your long-term SIDH key. You don't have to use psych. And so you can start slotting it into places. And then I had to be like, yes, it's a bit large. <laughs> you probably want to just use it for kind of long-term ID key pairs or something like that. But you can do it. <laughs> yeah, it was, not, it was not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I don't know if Thomas has any questions about this stuff. I feel like we should. Yeah. <laughs> That's mean. Well, do you, like the chicken gets still awake. Yeah, we're no, like. I'm, not, I'm, I'm mostly I'm mostly following, but cool. you, you guys are kind of covering where I would have like asked questions anyways. Okay, cool. All right, now we're kind of getting into speculative territory, which is like sometimes areas of cryptography go through uh, kind of like a painful growing period where like. The first constructions, the first stab of how you do something seems all right. And then there's just like break, 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 break. And then they're like, okay, let's reformulate and we'll try to do this a little bit differently. And then we come up with a kind of more mature version. And that's like, okay, we had to kind of learn, learn a little bit, grow a little bit. But this is the thing and you know, or something like that. And I don't have a good analogy off the top of my head, but I'm mostly kind of wondering is this kind of giving us some lessons, some directions for research about how to move something like SIDH forward? Or do you think it's going to like, are we, there's been research about using like hyperelliptic curves over smaller fields to do isogeny based key exchange and things like that. Like that's been an area like, is that fruitful or do you think it's going to be more of these other areas or something? I was yeah, I, I was sort of wondering because, like, you know, I, I was in high school in 1993, right? But like, you know, I was wondering if it was kind of roughly analogous to like uh, conventional curves and like the MOV attack or something like that, where like we've got like a, a, a special brand of curves that we're thinking about using, and it turns out that that special brand of curves is totally janked up for doing, you know, the kind of cryptography that we want. And then like for 10 years after that, right? Like you have you have like Bruce Schneier saying, "I don't trust the math on curves," right? Because there's stuff like you know the MOV attack, which is not relevant to any of the things that we end up really using but you know i don't know is this the is this the moral equivalent of that well, or the, i know the, we're, the, we're asking for predictions but. <laughs> yeah i mean the i think so yeah i got i got into i got into cryptography in the in the mid 90s when it was still very much a new subject and that was that was absolutely the narrative the narrative was that you know elliptic were so new the <laughs> mathematics was so complicated how could you be sure it was secure? There was this <laughs> famous quote from Rivest um, comparing it, you know, to Chaldean poetry, and nobody understands it, and all this kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> and it was a, it was whereas RSA is so simple, right? And, until you've tried mm. to understand the number field sieve, and then you realise mm. that RSA is not <laughs> simple at all. Um, yeah, and the the story with pairings is really funny, right? Because of course, yeah, there were ellipticos were proposed. People even did um, choose super singular curves um, for efficiency reason. There was a, there was some early oh. papers that said, "Oh yeah, you should use super singular curves because then you got this really fast doubling map and whatever." Uh, and then of course <laughs> there was the the um, paper by Meadows, Okamoto, and Vanstone, and also a paper by Fry Rook. And then they they sort of killed super singular curves. But then in in two thousand two thousand one, pairing based cryptography became alive, and suddenly it was like, oh no, actually some of these curves are actually good because we can use them for pairing based crypto, um, and that became you know that's still an industry, right? I'm still a still a thriving area of of, of work. So um, so it's interesting how you the, the pendulum kind of swings between between more structure and less structure. You want right. you kind of want the most general case because you think that's going to be more secure. Uh, and then at some point you're like, oh yeah, but there's this special feature or there's this gadget that I can use. So I'll so I'll go I'll go a little bit more towards the the special case. And we see that all the time in cryptography, and we see that in lattice cryptography, right? So you've got the general, the most general lattice. It's completely unstructured, and you have to write down a huge matrix to to define the lattice. And of course we don't do that. We do things like entry. We work with with structured lattices, and 
because they're much more compact, they're much more efficient. We have fast Fourier transform to do the the multiplication and, and um, all the arithmetic more efficiently. Yeah. So there's always this tension between the general the general problem, the general case which we feel like ought to be more secure, and the the special case that that gives us more structure. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of isogenies, I, I've, I'm not going to make any bets. I mean, it's uh, it's it's really hard to say. This this I mean, this shows that you know here was a here was a theorem that was lying around in the literature, yeah. and um, boom! I mean, as you say, <laughs> if you could break that in minutes on your laptop, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I mean, it certainly tells you that the field is not mature. That's absolutely mm. right. You know, here was mm. here was something that that, um, uh, and you know, we don't know that someone's not going to do the same thing to elliptic curve discrete log tomorrow, right? I mean, <laughs> why do we believe? Why do we believe elliptic curve discrete log is hard? Well, we believe it because there was twenty, thirty years of of people really studying elliptic curve discrete log, and and we mm-hmm. have. You know, good confidence that people like Gerhard Fry and Joe Silverman and and Hendrik Lenstra really thought about it, and mm. um, and then lesser people like myself and Nigel Smart and, and, <laughs> uh, and we spent a lot of time uh, trying to break it and Takakazu Sato and Neil Koblitz and um, mm. you know there was a, there was a lot of attempts to break elliptic curves and and we gave lots of talks about it and wrote papers and at the end of decades of time. Um, <laughs> elliptic curves were still secure, and that's the only reason we have any confidence whatsoever in mm. elliptic curve crypto, right? It's just because a bunch of mathematicians looked at it, and this was always the problem with with isogenies: is, is mm. not enough people are looking at it. And there's two sides to this question: you need the you need number theorists to, and algebraic mm-hmm. geometers to look at it, mm-hmm. um, and it's fantastic that that uh, Walter and Chloe and uh, Thomas and Luciano have done that yeah. and found found this idea. But, you know, you also need quantum algorithms, people, to look at it. Because if you're yeah. talking post-quantum crypto, you need to be sure, not just that all the number theorists and geometers and people who understand classical stuff have looked at it, but also people with a, with a bit of an understanding of quantum algorithms have looked at it as well. Yeah. Um, and only then can you be sure it's really post-quantum secure. And I, I, was, mm. I was not confident we were there with isogenies. I think there was, a, <laughs> you know, the, the number of people who really understand quantum algorithms and isogenies, very, very small. Very small. <laughs> and so um, I'm, I'm actually not surprised that, that NIST didn't choose um, Psych um, as a finalist. I'm not surprised yeah. at all. My prediction for the NIST competition was extremely bad, so I didn't publish it. But I will at least <laughs> say that Psych was not there. Um, ah. I, di- I just didn't think it was mature. I'm not surprised they didn't take it. And they've been proved to be correct because because... Here's an attack. Um, compared to uh, so compared to Psych, the the impression I have is that we have you know kind of like for the same reason that we kind of believe in conventional curves is the thirty years of research we've done on them. We're in approximately the same place on lattices and true and stuff like that. Like and true goes back in the, like a long time too, right? So like, yeah, we have 90s, more yeah. Com- we, yeah we have more confidence in the lattice crypto than we do in isogenies, right? Yes. So, I, I guess one, this is apropos nothing, right? But I was wondering when I was reading your kind of FAQ post on the, uh, on the Decrue paper was the, 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 the theorem from Connie, was that motivated by cryptography or was that just pure abstract number theory work? Pure abstract number theory. Absolutely. Utterly unrelated to, I've, I've met, <laughs> I've met Ernst Carney. He works with Gerhard Frey or he worked. I mean, they were both of a similar generation and, um, and Fry got interested in cryptography, but Ernst Carney was not interested in cryptography at all. I probably met him around the time when that paper was was being published, and he was giving talks on on this kind of topic. Um, I may I may have even seen that theorem presented. I, I have no <laughs> recollection. Um, but no, I can assure you, he wasn't the least bit interested in cryptography. Um, that, that's yeah. somehow more di- more disturbing, right? Is like because it suggests that there's other things like that. No. Yeah. This kind of dovetails with something you just mentioned was um, Kristen Lauder, who was one of the people in the early 2000s who started looking at these super singular isogeny graphs, not just general isogenies, which was a little bit earlier in the literature, but like specifically super singular isogeny graphs to use for a one way function. 
um, including, I think she published a, a hash function, a very slow post-quantum uh, hash function based on this. And she gave a talk one time when she basically kind of articulated a concern about isogeny-based cryptography having a lot of algebraic structure and that both allows it to be useful in all kind of the ways we describe, but also makes some cryptographers nervous because it basically amounts to having a lot of avenues of attack on these certain constructions. Do you think that isogeny-based crypto is more vulnerable because of its algebraic structure? Or do you think lattices have similar algebraic structure, but it's different and therefore, like, does that make any sense at all? Yeah, I, I, look for public key cryptography. You, you're always there's always this tension between between structure. Yeah, because you if you're going to have something like Diffie Hellman working, you've you've got to have some structure, right? You're not going to get this out of just random mathematics. You, there needs to right. be some reason why things come together. So all of cryptography is this tension between having enough structure to do something useful, um, but not enough that that makes it fall over um, to an attacker. And this mm. is what we see in multivariate crypto, for example. I mean, mm -hmm. yes, we know that solving a system of random polynomial equations is NP hard, but you have to <laughs> put a trapdoor in there, right? Mm -hmm. And so then you get rainbow. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, braid groups was another thing. Braid groups are really beautiful right. mathematics. And yes, certain problems are hard. But you, you, if you're doing anything like Diffie-Hellman, you have to end up with essentially subgroups that commute with each other. Mm. There it falls over because there's various attacks. Um, and that's absolutely the tension. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of a miracle that it works at all. You look at something <laughs> like elliptic curve cryptography, right? You've got elliptic curves. They're kind of almost perfect. You, you kind yeah. of, this is the minimal representation you could possibly hope to, 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 to get. They're super efficient. Yeah. Um, you can you can hash to random points. You've got yeah. pairings if you want them. I mean, you could not really dream of something as good as elliptic curves. And unfortunately, we've become totally spoiled by them. Yeah. Right? So everyone <laughs> just says, "Well, why can't we have why can't we have something that just plugs into TLS and works like elliptic curves do? Huh? What's the problem with you guys?" And it's like, well, they, they were just they're a miracle. Elliptic curves are yeah. a miracle. They work so well. And I see the, the the you know the NIST you know NIST is calling for signature schemes with short signatures and efficient verification. Yeah, you think? I mean, <laughs> that never occurred to me. Ooh, we should come up with signatures that are just like ECDSA or something. Yeah, well. that'd be nice. <laughs> if it was easy, we would have done it already. Yeah. Um, so it is. It's hard. So I, this is a long answer. I mean, structure you can't get rid of the structure and the whole story of post-quantum crypto is things that are slightly less structured than RSA and elliptic curves, right? So you've you've either got less algebraic structure or you're introducing some kind of noise in some way, which which comes with its own difficulties and inconvenience. Yeah. Um, so you've you've had to throw away something to get it to be post-quantum anyway. And if mm. you throw away too much, you, you don't have anything useful anymore. Mm. Um, <laughs> So it's really hard. It's really hard. And mm. I mean, what, what we would ideally like, getting back to the maturity of the field, you know, what we really want is, is diverse systems. I mean, the, yeah. the problem we're in now is that we only have RSA. I'm talking about the you know, TLS today. We have mm -hmm. RSA and elliptic curves. And then we have our authenticated encryption and symmetric crypto, which is good. Which is you fine. Know, we've, we've, it, we've, yeah. we've, you're stuck with RSA signatures, ECDSA, EDDSA, you know, Schnorr signatures. Um, and, and Diffie-Hellman key exchange and RSA um, encryption. That, and, and Shaw's algorithm breaks everything. It's a problem, with, it's a problem of diversity. Yeah. If we had more schemes, then maybe we wouldn't have had such a problem with quantum computers coming along in the first place. Yeah. And so obviously what we would like for the future is to have more variety of computational assumptions so we're not yeah. putting all our eggs in, in one basket. And at the moment, we're kind of the way NIST is going, we're kind of putting all our eggs in, in, into structured lattices. Yeah. I mean, I, I like them. They're good. Uh, but, you know, you would like to have more diversity and, and so that, you know, you're not, you're not at the mercy of just one new idea. Yeah. What's Michaelis? Is that codes or, yeah, or multivariate? Codes. It's codes. Was that in round three? 
Uh, Michaelis is an alternate, yeah, classic Michaelis. Okay. So one of the um, one of the uh, round four uh, candidates. Yeah. All right. So you're not exactly hopeful, but <laughs> I'm not super hopeful about Sojnis. But you know, you've got to be the the, the thing. The thing I've been holding on to um, is uh, you've got to be you've got to be gracious in defeat. So I, I'm not going to name yeah. names. But you know, there's been this over the NIST competition. There've been some very sore losers who have not mm. um, have not taken kindly to being broken. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm very proud of the isogeny community that yeah. we're um, you know David Jao, Luca DeFeo. I mean, they're, they're really the inventors of it were, were, were Jao yeah. and DeFeo. They were the inventors of SIDH. And you can imagine both of them were feeling um, a bit grumpy about it. But right from right from the get go. Um, you know, they've been utterly gracious about it. I mean, David Jow's been interviewed. He was in uh, a piece in Ars Technica and he was very yeah. gracious about it and very, very, very that, quick yeah. to, to, to acknowledge the good work. Um, Luca DeFeo was writing sarcastic tweets within within hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and that, that's that's how to be. How to be is to go, damn, that's good work. Um, yeah. Yep, we'll have to wait and see. And it's not over, but yeah. um, but you've got to at least be gracious about it and not um, and not be a dick like some other people <laughs> <laughs> over the years. What do you mean you don't like like thousand terabyte sized RSA keys? Like that's post quantum secure, right? <laughs> it's a nice idea, actually. I like that idea. <laughs> it, it's pretty straightforward. I will say that I was down when I when I saw the news about this attack because like I saw Jenny's helped draw me into a career in doing cryptography in some way. I love them. I think they're beautiful and they're my they're my faves. But learning the mathematics to understand this attack, the Castric de Crew attack, has been fun. And then watching other people implement this attack in Sage and speed it up and like just just algorithms and like speeding up these Richelieu isogenies and, and this, that, and the other thing has been really, really cool. And so that's kind of helped me like work through my grief, I guess. Yeah. Stephen Galbraith, thank you so much for joining us and making the time. This has been a wonderful conversation. <laughs> Thanks, I enjoyed it too. Yay, awesome. All right, I'm gonna hit the button.